Nothing you hear in this program constitutes investment advice. It is an expression of opinion only. This is Frisbees, Bulls and Bears. Talking money and markets. What's happening and why. We talk to the experts, the traders, the investors and the companies they're investing in. You're listening to Frisbees, Bulls and Bears with Dominic Frisbee. And welcome to Frisbee's Bulls and Bears with me, Dominic Frisbee. A reminder that you can subscribe to the show via email by clicking on the subscribe via email button on the left-hand side of the screen. And then every time I upload a new show, you will be notified in your inbox. And that is the only email you receive. This is the third of our 2011 New Year prediction shows. And it's my pleasure to welcome back to the show, um, I suppose, our oldest, most favourite guest. He is, of course, Michael Hampton. Mike is a trader and an investor uh, from Detroit, but he's based uh, quite a long way from Detroit, on the other side of the world, in fact, in Hong Kong. Hello, Mike. How are you doing? Very good, Dominic. Happy to be with you. Great. I am right. You are from Detroit, aren't you, or just outside? Well, I was born in Detroit in Henry Ford Hospital, the Motor City. Oh, okay. Well, good stuff, Mike. Now, um, 2011, uh, um, you, you see various uh, investment themes for the year going ahead. Um, where would you like to start? Well, I'd like to start with something really simple. And, you know, it's so simple that I think people sometimes forget, but I think it's also very important. Um, I've been spending a couple of hours here looking at some historical data, and I'd like to convey that in a simple way if I can. Um, I've really been looking at interest rates and inflation, and mm. I, I think this is the starting point for an e-forecast, really, and you know, understanding the relationship between those two uh, can give you some insight into what lies ahead. So where are we? I mean, over the last 10 years or so, the average um, CPI I'm talking about now, the average CPI in the U.S., has been something like between 2% and 3%. So call it, call it an average of around 2.5%. And funnily enough, that's where CPI is now, 2.5%. So um, the interesting thing to do is to compare that with interest rates. And um, you may or may not remember that at the end of 2006, um, short-term interest rates and long-term interest rates were around the same level at uh, right about 5%. So, uh, you know, and I think inflation might have been a tad higher, but long-term inflation, let's say, was 2.5%. So you had real interest rates at the end of 2006 of 2.5%. And um, I suppose I'm going to ask you what, what you think they are today. I, I presume they're negative. My first instinct was to say that real rates are negative. Right. Well, I mean, in, in, at the end of 2006, short-term and long-term rates were both 5%. That's pretty unusual. Normally... Short-term rates are a lot lower than are lower, or maybe a lot lower than long-term rates. Right now, um, the the short-term rate paid by the government, and which is equivalent to what the saver gets, is around about twelve or thirteen basis points. That means 0.12 percent or 0.13 percent. That's the short-term rate. And if if inflation now is is two and a half percent, you've got a negative interest rate of over two percent. And I mean, that should tell you quite a lot right there. That's already, I think, 
a pretty important fact that a lot of people forget. Now, before I move on from this point to the next point, I'd just like to mention that long-term rates now are, you know, just under 3.5%. So if you compare that that uh, CPI number, which, you know, may or may not be a realistic measure of inflation, if you compare that with long-term rates, you've got real long-term rates where you've got about a 1%, uh, uh, you know, long-term rates exceed the CPI by about 1%. Um, else, why would anybody want to hold bonds? Um, but anyway, that, that short-term rate of, you know, less than a quarter of a percent really, I mean, tells us a lot about what, what the world's like today. And I, I think we're living in a world of ultra-low interest rates. And that's awfully important because it basically means the savers are being robbed, okay? If you put the, your money in the bank, and you collect a savings interest rate in the U.S. or even in the U.K. or in most countries, I mean, Hong Kong's even worse, I think, um, you're going to make almost zero interest from your deposit, no matter how big it is. It can be $100 or it can be a million dollars. You're still making almost no interest rate. If you're lucky, you're making, you know, 10 or 20 basis points. So um, what does that do? I mean, that does a number of things. First of all, it encourages people to take their money out of the bank and use it to buy something that they think will increase in value to keep them ahead of inflation, okay? And I think this explains, therefore, low interest rates explain the reason why we've seen this nice rise in commodity prices around the world. People are buying commodities because interest rates are low and they think they have a chance, probably a decent chance, uh, certainly in 2010, of staying ahead of inflation by buying commodities. And, you know, that includes gold and, and, and other commodities. Um, and, of course, the other matter is that, you know, banks get their money cheaply and they can lend them out uh, rather cheaply as well. So, you know, if you have a project that banks will finance uh, or you're a, a strong corporate and you can borrow yourself in the markets, you can obtain money very cheaply these days for, for new projects and so forth. And, and, you know, I want to add something else into this picture now, which I think is, you know, an important part of my forecast. I want to add into the picture the CRB. And I, I think you know what that is. It's the Commodity Research Bureau Index. And uh, right now it's around about 331. Uh, it closed at 330.71 yesterday. And um, a year ago, uh, at the end of December, that was at 283.38. So it's, it's, it's had a pretty decent rise um, over the last year. It's way outperformed inflation. But um, what is the CRB? And I'm going to try and weave it into the story a bit. Well, what the CRB is, in, in a very oversimplified way, is it's energy and food prices. Therefore, it's, it's a very important measure of, of the uh, ongoing costs that people are facing. Now, um, let me just backtrack for a second so I can weave this in with the CPI and uh, so forth. Now, we have experienced the last 10 years or so uh, the Federal Reserve trying to manage um, the U.S. out of economic recessions. I mean, I think recessions are part of uh, the reality of, 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 of an economy. It's cyclical. And the Fed has basically tried to prevent the downturns in the cycle by every time a downturn starts dropping interest rates down to a very, very low level, and uh, like, like they are now, and, and thereby getting people to spend money instead of putting it in the bank, and that encourages economic activity. Now, the problem is that if that economic activity is 
you know, not fundamentally healthy, um, the investments that happen from those low interest rates, um, you know, don't actually help the economy, they hurt it. And uh, what I'm talking about now is malinvestment. So the low rates of Ellen Greenspan, you know, after uh, 9-11 and the, uh, the low rates of, of Ben Bernanke now are encouraging a lot of malinvestment. People are putting their money places where um, they wouldn't put them if interest rates were higher. And it's really distorting the economy and turning it into something that has a, you know, uncertain and uh, vulnerable future. And uh, I, I think what I've done just now is expressed in a slightly different way the argument of the Austrian School of Economics, um, which I think you know has done a much better job of predicting uh, turns and changes in the economy than has the traditional mainstream economics. So let me come on now to the last point so we can see where the vulnerabilities are going forward from here. Um, now, Ben Bernanke reduced interest rates hoping money would go into places like housing um, to, to keep the banks uh, from having problems with their balance sheets and, uh, you know, spending to allow businesses to, uh, to thrive in America. But it hasn't really worked that way because you can't really control completely where money goes. And a lot of that printed money that in the cheap interest rates and people's savings have gone into, you know, what I might call speculation and commodities. And um, that's pushed up food and energy prices. And, and now I'd just like to give you some figures that I've been compiling today, which I think will be pretty interesting. Um, let's look at um, the uh, inflation rate over the last five years. Um, and, you know, and there are various measures for this, but I'll use a figure provided by the U.S. Department of Labor. In 2006, it was 3.2%. In 2007, it was 2.8%. In, in, in 2008, it was 3.8%. It was up 1% in the year, driven higher that year, as you may know, by things like uh, higher uh, energy prices and some food price uh, inflation. In 2009, for the year as a whole, we had a minus 0.4% um, CPI. Okay, And in 2010, I think we're back to about 2.5% for the year as a whole, although we don't have the complete figure, but I think it'll come in around about that level. So during that five years, interest rates have dropped from 5% at the beginning, at the end of 2006 and beginning of 2007, down to, as I said, you know, almost zero for short-term rates and around 3.5% for long-term rates. So money is flooded into other places. Now, I'd, I'd like to give you some other figures that are going to be more volatile than the ones I just gave you, just to give you a, a kind of big picture here. Let's, cons let's consider what happened to the Commodity Research Bureau Index, the CRB. Now, remembering most of those figures I just, I just uh, uh, quoted were around three, three, uh, 2 to 3%. And in 2008, the top year, we had 3.8%. Now, here's the Commodity Research Bureau uh, figures. Um, in 2007, uh, the Commodity Research Bureau was up 16.7%. Okay. And in 2008, and 2008 was really a year of two halves. There was a big rally in the first half and a huge drop in the second. The, the change in the CRB for 2008 was minus 36%. And in 2009, it was plus 23.5%. And in 2010, it's pretty high as well. 
it's plus 16.7%. So basically, in the last two years, um, the, uh, the market, the, the CRB has clawed back most of that drop that it experienced in 2008. And we're right back uh, pretty near to the levels that we, uh, we were for the CRB. In fact, we're a little bit higher at the end of 2006. But what those numbers don't show is a spike that occurred in the middle of 2008 when CRB numbers got, uh, got really crazy. Now, why am I talking about this? Okay. Well, I think it's pretty important because um, CRB index, as I said, is a measure of inflation of energy and food prices. Now, who do you think, which country, is particularly concerned these days about food and energy prices? Uh, CRB prices for food and energy are having a pretty big impact on China. You know, I live here in Hong Kong, and uh, I read in the paper quite a lot about the problems that China is having right now with food price inflation. And it's been running um, at something like um, 10 to 12% per annum over the last year. And, and frankly, that's too high, okay? So China, China is, is now tightening uh, its credit, it's raising interest rates, it's raised interest rates by a quarter of a basis point twice, and a lot of people here think they'll raise rates again maybe three or four times during the next year. So China is beginning to slow down or trying to slow down its economy, trying to slow down inflation by this mechanism. But now I want to I want to I want to sh- sort of show you what challenge China's facing because it's really pretty pretty amazing and and now I want to go back to the CRB index and, and you'll see why I'm concerned about this. Um, in 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 uh, at the end of June, I'm just going to read you the monthly change. This is month by month changes in the CRB since since um, since June. Okay, in June itself, the figure was plus one and a half percent. July was plus 6.1%. August, we get a rare down figure, down 3.7%. September was plus 8.6%. October was plus 4.8%. November was plus 2.5%. And now here's the killer. And, and, and December's not over yet. The figure for December, this is the latest month. And remember, China's already started to tap on the brakes here. Um, the increase for a single month in the CRB was 9.72%, okay? And we, we've got two days left in the month, and uh, we may get to 10% this month. So, um, and, th- you know, these, these figures are measured in the U.S., but, um, you know, commodities are a global market, and, and, and these commodities that are imported into China as well, they're going to continue to put a lot of pressure on prices in China. And so China, I think, is going to continue to push on the brakes and we're going to see a pretty severe slowdown in, in the Chinese economy. Okay, so now I'm coming to, uh, to uh, another important part of my, my forecast, which is uh, you may or may not have seen the charts that I've been you know, sort of playing around with recently on GI. But what I find really interesting is the way that the Chinese market, and indeed the Hong Kong market as well, are a nice leading indicator of what happens in the U.S. market. And the China stock market peaked um, in, um, well, it, it, it's sort of made a double, uh, sort of double top, and Hong Kong's made a higher top. But it basically peaked at the beginning of November, okay? And it's been falling pretty fast. 
And normally, um, when when um, when the and we've seen this a number of times, so that I can use the word like normally. Normally, when when the uh, when the seventy when the when the seventy six day moving average, um, when when one moving average crosses another uh, on the China market, we get a signal that the U.S. market is topping out. Now, guess what? We're getting that signal right now this week. Okay. Now, there is a chance that, that, that the Chinese market and the Hong Kong market can manage to rally in the new year and, you know, pull back from the brink. But with rates going up and the CRB and inflation numbers pushing higher, you know, I think we're going to see some more downside in these markets. And if so, this indicator, which has been a very accurate indicator over the last several years, is looking a lot like it did back in 2007, 2008. It's really giving us a warning we should be getting an imminent top in the U.S. market as the Chinese market is already and the Hong Kong market is already a good almost 15% off its top. And, you know, here are two big themes I'm expecting in, in 2011. Um, one of them is, is the slowdown in China, and that, I think, will also mean a slowdown in commodity prices. And the second theme is defaults. Okay. So I'm ex I'm expecting two big shoes to start dropping in in uh, in 2011. One is the uh, the state and local governments of the U.S., uh, California, Ohio, and a numerous uh, number of states um, are are uh, on the on the verge of default. Many cities are as well. So we're going to be hearing a lot more about that. I follow NAC, which is uh, a bond fund, Nuveen California Bond Fund, NAC. And uh, that's hitting uh, more or less right on the lows of the last couple of years, you know, indicating that, that people are really losing confidence in California debt. So uh, I think a big default in, in one or several states is something we're going to see in 2011 and maybe even in the first quarter. So that's something to be alert for. And I think that'll spread globally. I mean, there's really a race. Is, uh, the U.S. states are going to default before Greece or uh, Ireland or uh, or, or Spain or some other uh, country in, in Europe uh, defaults. So, and and this I think could be good for the dollar because um, people will, uh, you know, especially if the default happens first in Europe, people will perceive the dollar as being safer than the euro, and people will wonder whether the euro really has any sort of a future at all, and money may may flood into into the dollar and push it quite a lot higher during the course of the year, despite the negative interest rates. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, any other anything else you see happening? Well, I'd just like to mention for a moment property in the UK. Um, you know, it's an old favorite subject we've talked about a million times. Um, but uh, I, I really think the the cards are now uh, giving us a very strong uh, warning that uh, 2011 is going to be a bad year for UK property. Uh, I'm expecting what I call crash cruise speed uh, sorts of drops, and that means drops averaging somewhere between a half and one percent uh, per month uh, during the course of the year. Um, and it could be more than that. So my, my forecast for, uh, for the uh, Halifax and Nationwide, the average of those two index for the year is down nine percent during 2011 and potentially down another eight to ten percent in, in uh, 2012. Um, and we could be surprised on the downside. Okay. Um Anything else? 
Um, well, I think, you know, I want to warn, suggest to people that uh, they need to be a little bit careful about gold. Um, if you look at gold uh, corrected for the CRB, it's run ahead. Uh, corrected for inflation and so forth, it's run ahead. So I think gold is, is, uh, is um, you know, vulnerable to some type of a serious correction. I've, I've thought that for a while. Um, and, you know, I'm actually not short gold, I'm still long gold, um, but on a much reduced position. But I think sometime during 2011, and probably maybe right out of the chute, uh, if stock's correct, we may see gold go down with it here uh, in the first quarter. But I'd like to mention one other thing, which we discussed just briefly uh, for a few minutes before uh, this podcast. Um, gold doesn't hedge all risks, Okay. And I don't want to make a long uh, discussion about this, but I do want to suggest to people that um, our planet is not in a good way right now. And uh, we're beginning to see some uh, stresses and strains, um, things like earthquakes and volcanoes, um, things like changing uh, Gulf Stream weather and, and colder, colder weather, um, which really suggests that, that maybe... Um, you know, maybe that you know, maybe we're coming into a period of great uh, volatility for uh, weather and climate. And uh, another sign of that is the fact that the sunset spot cycles uh, have been behaving abnormally over the last two or three years. So I'm just a bit concerned that 2011 is going to be the year where um, the the fears of some rather dramatic changes in in our life on this planet are going to become come to the fore and begin to cause people to rethink where and how they want to live. Ooh, big stuff. It's a big subject. Um, I think it's probably worth a future podcast. So I'll just throw it out there as, as one of the things that's going to be worth looking at and thinking about during the year. Okay, well, Mike, um, thank you very much for coming on the show, and uh, not not the most rosy outlook I've ever heard you utter. <laughs> well, I'm I, I'm not often very rosy, but I think what people need these days, but I think what people need to do is is um, they need to um, watch carefully um, a, a lot of things that are happening in the world because you know we we are living in a house of cards which are, are only being held up by ultra-low interest rates. And, you know, the, 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 thing, the fact is that those ultra-low rates uh, don't seem to be doing their job anymore. And uh, shoes are, are, are readying for a, for a drop here, starting to drop already. So I think 2011 is going to be a pretty tough year. And I hope I'm wrong. Okay, well, uh, just on the subject of gold, I, I know gold doesn't protect you against uh, all risks, but uh, and and you know you seem to get one or two or three big corrections in gold a year, but the end of the gold bull market, I don't think so. I think there's just too many problems in the monetary system. Well, I would agree with that, and you know I think my you know sort of ideal target would be something like ten fifty uh, or even eleven fifty, and at that sort of level. Uh, if we see it, chances are it turn a pretty aggressive buyer. Okay, I mean, you know, so what's that? That's just a 15 or 20% correction from here. I mean, for many people, the best way to play that is just to ride it. Yeah, but I'll tell you what, some of the mining shares have maybe gotten ahead of themselves a bit. 
And uh, if you've made a lot of money on junior minors, it might be smart to take some, some profits off the table and park some of that money in cash for a while and wait for, uh, wait for one of these downturns. And, you know, we, we usually get one in the spring and we get an even better one in the summer. So uh, don't be afraid to sit on some cash for a while. All right. Well, Mike, uh, do you want to give out your website? Sure. Um, GlobalEdgeInvestors.com. And uh, I'll probably start a thread on this. Thank you very much. And uh, best uh, wishes for you and uh, all your listeners for 2011. Okay. Well, thanks very much, Mike, for coming on. And uh, we must talk more in the new year. Let's make it our resolution. I'll look forward to that. Thanks very much, Tom. Frisbee's Bulls and Bears is presented and produced by Dominic Frisbee. To discuss the markets and have your say, why not visit our forum at globaledgeinvestors.com. That's globaledgeinvestors.com. To join our mailing list so you can be updated as soon as a new show is posted, please email info at dominicfrisbee.net or simply subscribe through iTunes. 